Welcome to the Love on the Go podcast, brought to you by Carolina's Matchmaker. I'm Laurie Burzak, and for over 17 years, I've been helping singles find the relationship of their dreams all over the Carolinas. Along the journey, I've met so many amazing professionals and experts from various fields, and I'm excited to introduce them to you. What's my goal? I want to help you look at love and relationships in a new way and to grow in your understanding of how love works. Let's learn together how people have overcome personal obstacles and have found love, first and foremost, with themselves. The ultimate goal is realizing that you are worthy and deserving of love. Let's get started. You may have seen Molly Carmel on the Today Show or Dr. Oz for her groundbreaking book, Breaking Up With Sugar. She is a leading addictions and eating disorder therapist and has made it her life's mission to help people find a sustainable solution to the battle of obesity and related eating disorders. She's also a trained shaman, Reiki healer, and certified Tibetan bowl singing practitioner, which I just did with her and it was life-changing. Welcome, Molly. Hi. <laughs> you know what's so funny is we have the same goals in life. Like when you were saying, like, I help people find the relationships of their dreams. I'm like, wait, I do the same exact thing. I help yeah. people find the relationship of their dreams with food and themselves and die, get out of diet culture. So I just love that about us. I know. I love that too. And I wanted for people to really connect to this. And, and, and I was thinking that people are probably thinking like, why is a relationship podcast? My sister in... just asked the same thing. Yep. And eating disorder <laughs> like, specialist podcast. But yeah, I actually exactly. Think they match very much. I mean, personally. Oh so much. And here's what my take on it is. And see if you agree with me is that literally eating and your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship to start with. And I have met so many incredible and beautiful people who are not happy with the way that they look or the way that they feel. And it's because they feel like they're out of control with the way that they eat or they think, or the way that they think about themselves. And I want to try to help people sort of put an end to that. And that's why I was really excited about talking to you. And, yeah. you know, a big part of that is about the voices in our head, our body images and all of that. Would you agree? Well, yeah, I mean, a thousand percent. Yes. I mean, mm -hmm. I think first of all, there's only, I mean, we don't have to be in romantic relationships though. Correct. Many of us crave that. We have to be in a relationship with food mm -hmm. and we have to be in a relationship with ourselves. That's right. And there's so many of us, and I certainly have been in this position where I think that something external a job, a man is going to fix something that's going on internal. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when we struggle with food, uh, like my mom always says, like messy room, messy life, you know, mm. and I think the same thing about the food. I think when our food is disorganized or we're in disordered relationship, it's a ripple effect on mm -hmm. so many areas mm -hmm. of our life. And then just a sort of sneak preview to I'm sure of what we'll get to, but the mm -hmm. stuff with body image, A, I think, you know, it's systemic and I think it's, you know, an eight-year-old starting to consider losing weight. So I think, you know, that's an uphill battle to say mm -hmm. the least, but when we are doing really harmful things to our body, whether that's mm -hmm. starving, overeating, eating food, we know doesn't jive with our integrity, whatever, it's really hard to love your body. Mm -hmm. I think it's like almost impossible. So we're here like being like, love yourself, accept yourself. And then we're just doing these really unloving things. So, you know, there's a bind there. Um, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's very, I don't actually don't think it's that complicated, mm -hmm. but the, I think the 
end game is always going to be self-love. And that is made to sound super easy. And, um, and I don't think it is, uh, usually, especially when we have like years and years and years of all this harmful behavior towards ourselves. It's a, it's a real learning process, I think. And tell us, I, when I watched your, your segment on the Today Show, or maybe it was Good Morning America, one one of them, um, it was just, it was so (laughs) tough to know, you know, I saw, I saw photos of you, uh, looking a different kind of way than you do now. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about kind of what led you into, into this journey? I know it's a, I mean, it's a book full of information, but it's a book full. Yeah. But but tell uh, us, give us like the quickie version of. Yeah. I mean, I think the shortest version of it is, um, you know, I'm I'm what they call like a a wounded healer. Right. So I, I do the work with people that wasn't available to me to do. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I certainly think that eating disorders and addictions are very, very sort of complex issues and come from pain. You know, it's a Gabor Mate says a very famous addiction psychologist. He says, you know, not why addiction, you know, why pain? And, I think there's like a perfect storm of ways that get us here. There's genetics and there's trauma. And then there's just like life and there's society. And lucky for me, I had every single piece of them come into my world when it came to my relationship with food. So I like, you know, I had a lot of early trauma, my father passing away being probably the largest of all of it. And I was really turning to food like medicinally by the age of four. And so at the age of seven, I think all the adults in my life were really concerned about that. And so I was in my first treatment, like I was at a nutritionist at the age of seven. I always find it really interesting because at the age of seven, and I remember this, like, I was like, this is not what's wrong with me. You know, like telling me what four ounces of turkey is, is like not remotely my problem. And then at 13, I was at a Weight Watchers camp, which was amazing and so fun. But I also had this knowing that I was being set up for failure there, right? I knew it. I knew it. They were just running us and feeding us. And I and it had been there over and over through the years, gained back my weight, terrible demoralization at the age of 13, you know, and went on till the age of, you know, you know, 30. But when I was at that Weight Watchers camp, I like knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then I just had this like knowing voice inside of me that just said, this is, you need to do this. So like, you know, my friend wanted to be a stockbroker. My friend wanted to be a doctor. My friend wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to help people overcome their issues with food and weight. So I wanted to do this since the age of 13. What I maybe didn't sign up for was the wounded healer part. What I maybe didn't sign up for was the path that I had to, you know, crawl through like uh, Shawshank Redemption style, like at the end, you know, finally looking up. And by the way, for whatever it's worth with a relationship with food, with a relationship with a, with a lover, there's no end. There's no end. You're always in relationship. And, and I think that was a great lesson for me to learn in this life of mine. But, you know, I, uh, I had to find the path on my own. And I I think a, a lot of my frustration in that story was like, going to all of this help and it not helping and actually making mm-hmm. me sicker, you know, eating disorder work or even spiritual work, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And then I think in the midst of it, I understood that it was so about the food because my book is called Breaking Up with Sugar, but mm-hmm. sugar is, you know, as they say in addictions, but a symptom, you know, but a symptom. It's just something I go to that I happen to be like pretty allergic to with regards to how I behave when I eat it, which means I like kind of can't stop eating it. And it makes me really tired and it makes me. And that's the actual addiction. Right. That's the actual addiction. That's the actual addiction. But the interesting thing about food is 
that's the actual substance addiction, but mm-hmm. binging, which I also used to participate in is mm-hmm. what they call like a process addiction. So that the overeating piece is, does the same kind of stuff, you know, process addictions, gambling, sex, things like that. So long story long, I always knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing. And the path that I had to be navigating made it clear to me how I was supposed to be helping people. And I think the two things, the three things I probably garnered with regards to my approach to helping people Number one, it's completely about the food. And and I think that there's too much of this, like just love yourself and eat what you want. And there's a whole intuitive eating movement that I think works for some people, but if it doesn't work for some people, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then there's no alternative to it. And then I think that kind of the opposite, I think is true too, which is it's not really about food and it's about learning how to manage emotions and live life and tolerate really hard times without making them worse by turning to addictions. And then I think, you know, probably the reason you have me on the show, the third one is about really learning how to tolerate yourself, then like yourself, and then maybe even love yourself. And that encompasses body in all of it, right? 100%. And so thank you. And what, what I think would be interesting for folks to hear about is some people might not know that they're addicted to sugar. Like they yeah. may just have that, that realization about themselves. So can you describe the addiction? Sure. It was really interesting for me because I was trained, I, I started um, a boarding, a therapeutic boarding school for obesity at the age of 25. And that school was run like old school, like count your calories, those fat grams. Remember those days, like the snack wells of it all, like the honey mustard <sighs> pretzel. But I was like, meanwhile, I find myself binging my brains out at the school, you know, and every low fat pretzel you I could find. And so actually I was, I was really in a predicament because I had come, I had left that school. I was in New York in a, in a private practice or in a group practice with one of the most famous eating disorders doctors in the world, binging my brains out, you know, putting on weight hand over fist. Now for some people, that's not their issue. I think for me, uh, it's, a it shows when I'm gaining weight, uh, it's not, it's not out of love. Right. So for me putting on weight, that's what there's a lot of people. And if you're one of those people, like stick with it, do you, do you? Uh, so for me, that was a, it was a, a light, like, Ooh, something's not okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, my little brother was going on the paleo diet and I was like gaining weight, being this eating disorder therapist, not knowing what to do with myself. And I was like, I'm going to try that just like, cause I love to diet. You know, I thought a diet was going to, I thought a man was going to save me. I thought a diet was going to save me. I thought the right banana Republic dress was going to save me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's me that's going to save me. And um, so I tried this this diet he was on, which I eliminated all grains and all sugar. And two really interesting things happened to me. Number one, I went through detox and I was an, I'm an addiction therapist. And so I knew what was happening to me was unlike any other diet I had gone on. I knew it was like literal physical detox. I was sweating. I was angry. I couldn't sleep. I mean, all the things we know. And I was like, light bulb. Uh, and then number two, after a few weeks, I started to feel like so much better, which also had never happened on a diet. You know what I mean? Where like my cravings went away. I was sleeping better. My skin started to look like all of these things. I was like, huh. 
Now, let's, let me tell you something. If we don't want to see something, we're not going to see it. It wasn't like as though I was inventing the idea of sugar being addictive. I just was, you know, I think before choosing, there's plenty of the research even within diabetes suggests that sugar is not great for you. There's no diet in the world that says cupcakes are amazing. Do that often. Right. But as I had this reaction, I was like, oh boy. And I'm the kind of person, like, I really believe in this idea, like evolve or die. And so if there's going to be a better idea that comes my way, because I was running a clinic based on what I knew from that school. And as I sort of start, my eyes started to be open. I was like, looking, there's a lot of people in my clinic that were struggling like me, like sort of going on like benders and not being able to have like any sort of peace in their relationship with food, like very obsessive, whatever. And then I just, you know, and I really just flipped my, uh, so anyway, the point is, is that I, I, I saw it, I saw it in me. I start, I got the mentors, I got the training and I completely changed my clinic. So, you know, sugar addiction is like all the other addictions. I think the, the ones that I love the most, like the criteria, certainly in chapter four of my book, you can take the quiz, you can decide for yourself. But mm -hmm. the ones that I love about addiction in general is like, number one, like doing it despite negative consequences, right? So your doctor says like, Hey, your A1C levels are really high. You got to stop eating sugar or, you know, you're feeling really demoralized because you like ate a whole cake and then you go do the same thing again. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. The other one is like eating more than you intend to. So you're like, I'm just having one cookie. Like, that's it. That's tonight. That's it. One Yaso, one Yaso bar. That's it. That's all that's happening. And then you're like three, five sleeve in. That's like mm -hmm. a solid symptom of addiction. Mm -hmm. And I think the other one that always kind of, I don't know, uh, pulls my heartstrings I think is uh, you know when recreational occupational things are diminished because of it. So you don't like to take pictures with your kids anymore. You used to love volleyball, but you won't play anymore. Go dancing, you know, because addiction is. And I'd say eating disorders, addictions, uh, they're not the same thing, but they certainly run the same circles. I mean, they're just they're two things. They're thieves. They steal your life, and they're terrorists. Because I think the thing that um, when I think about breaking up with sugar, the thing I value the most about it is that my brain is clear. I mean, that's a lie. I mean, I certainly obsess about other things, and, you know, <laughs> certainly things that are on my head. I can't shake or, you know, negative thinking comes in from time to time, but mm -hmm. nothing like when I was abusing myself with sugar, there is no, there is no darkness. Like when I was in that darkness. And I think what's interesting for me, and I think thousands of people that I've treated is that they, they didn't know. It's exactly the question you're asking. Like there are people in the Facebook group I have, which if anybody wants to come join, it's open. It's like, I had no idea. I had no idea that because, you know, for most of us, sugar's our solution. We don't want to think of it as our problem. You know, like, how do I not eat birthday cake again? I don't know. Can you describe what sugar actually does in your body? Well, it's not everyone's body, but okay. yes. I mean, effectively you put sugar in your body, you get like, I mean, it happens to all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not this big dopamine rush. And you're like, ah, right. And right. then that's amazing. And then you, what happens is that you get a drop or right? you get a spike and then it mm -hmm. drops. Mm -hmm. And when it drops, your body's like, I want more, 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 more. And then you go and eat more. And this, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Lori, but this happens, happens like when you binge and you're like really full. And then you're like, how is it that I'm so full and I want more food? Like that's usually a function of sugar and it's an insulin. It's like a big, long scientific story, but effectively it starts this craving. And then you go up and then you go down. And then when you're down, you want to go up and then it kind of never ends.
And then that's, and that's just the biochemical piece of it. Cause that doesn't even start with the emotional or spiritual piece of it, which I think is really the kicker there. There was a testimonial in your book and she said, the truth is diets don't work for addicts. Well, that's for sure. That was really people who have addictions going on a diet is like bringing a carrot to a gunfight, right? It's not even Mm -hmm. treating the thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe worse than that, I think it's giving the illusion that there's like, it's all relationships. It's not just sugar. It's like saying like, this is going to be done. Like 30 days, 30 pounds out. Like I always just think like, well, what about day 32? What about day 33? And I think what I know about my own story, and I'm, I'm certain most of the people that are testimonials in that book would get on board with this is I was as addicted, if not more addicted to dieting and diet culture than Mm -hmm. I was sugar. And I was very addicted to sugar. I weighed 325 pounds. You know, I was eating sheet cakes, but what I noticed in my own process is that anytime I could be on some kind of path towards health and freedom, freedom from my mind, freedom from the weight, you know, releasing the weight. It's like, some part of diet culture always came in to sabotage me. Like, oh, I'm not losing enough weight, right? Mm -hmm. Or, oh my God, these pants don't fit. Or, oh my God, how am I going to do this forever? Like all of these kind of evils, or this needs to go faster. Or, you know what? My friend is on this thing. And I think that's what I want to be doing instead and completely jump ship and cut and run. I mean, the truth is, as the relationship problem when it comes to food is that we don't know how to stay the course. And that's what really diet culture has done. I use this analogy in my book, right? It's like, for many of us, if we look at our history of food, weight, and dieting, if you put people in there, we would just be like chronic cheaters. We would be the kind of celebrities that go to rehab for relationships. Like the truth. So none of us know how to stay the course. Diet culture is selling us nothing but lies is actually encouraging us to cut and run, right? Forget it. And then like, you know, you may be on a good track and you may say, oh God, I swear off diets. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, your gym starts the 30 pounds, like biggest loser competition and all your friends are doing. I mean, it's so ingrained, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not to mention like everybody's commenting on every, everybody's body or it's almost, you know, it's almost bikini season or it's almost your wedding and you need to drop the, I mean, it just gets so complicated. And so in many ways, like usually what I'm selling is the last thing anybody wants to buy. Right. I'm like, let's do this in a sustainable, loving way. <laughs> let's have this even diet culture. Let's have this be the last time you do this. Like everyone's like, that's so unsexy, Molly, you know, <laughs> but stability <laughs> needs to be the new sexy is what I think. It's sort of I'm sure in your line of work where you have these women, I used to be one of them who just seeked out these unavailable people and mm-hmm. got into this trauma bond with them. Like people are in a trauma bond with diets. Like it's mm. so, our jobs are really the same if you think about it, Laura. I know. That's why we connect so much on it. And I love what you just said about the constant cheater in terms of your relationship with food. And it kind of reminds me of, cause I'm, I cut out sugar, as you know, I cut out sugar and gluten and I'm like 90% dairy free because of some health issues that I was having, like chronic health issues. And I feel like a thousand times better. And I'll sometimes get somebody say to me, oh, you're so good for not eating that dessert kind of talk. And first of all, I hate how good and bad is tied to food Oh, the and then how there's so much shame associated with it. 
can I share this with everybody? Cause I think mm-hmm. it is also the same if you're single, I think that, so I just want to tell everybody this one thing, which is when people are commenting on your food, it's really about their food. Lori and I were once at a dinner party. This is a true story. Yes. With this woman who I didn't know, I was just new to town. I don't eat sugar and flour. I haven't done it for 13 years. I couldn't care less what people think of it. It's none of my business. Mm-hmm. Lots because lots of people have lost feelings. So Lori at this party mm-hmm. and our friend makes lasagna and I say, oh, I'm not going to have a lasagna. No worry. She's like, oh my God, I feel so bad. I was like, I don't, don't worry. I brought a charcuterie plate. All, plate, all is good. So mm-hmm. this other woman is at the party and she says, oh, well, I made a gluten-free cake for dessert. And I said, oh, well, I don't eat sugar either. And this woman stares me down and she says, well, what do you eat? And I was like, everything else. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I noticed at the table? I thought she was diabetic and she was taking her insulin at the table. And I thought, well, that makes sense. I bet Mm -hmm. you I trigger a lot in this person. So I just, I'm saying this to everybody because when Mm -hmm. people are making comments on your relationship status, whether it's if you don't drink, whether if it's you don't eat sugar, whether if it's you're not dating someone, mm-hmm. it is always a function of their relationship with that thing. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. So don't even take it on. Reject the energy. That would be my note. Reject the energy. No, thank you. I'm not interested. Yeah. And especially if, I mean, it literally makes you sick. I mean, even right. if that is literally the answer, it's like, I'm not, even I'm not eating sugar. That. You know yes. what I mean? I'm not it even here. It will hurt here. my joints. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even here to explain to her like yeah. the inflammatory yeah. addictive yeah. quality. Like I'm not, right. e- I mean, I used to be, but now I'm just like, this is my life. This is your life. This is my dance space. This That's is your right. dance space. I'm not interested. Yes. I we don't have that. to explain anything to anyone. In your book, you get into a lot about sort of getting off the sugar train and also that sugar has an evil twin, which is flour. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's like two, two big, two biggies. big uh, publishing yeah. houses that were like, we can't publish that part of the book. Oh, really? Can you just leave that part out? I was like, well, I can, <laughs> but I don't think that'll be useful. Yeah. It's interesting. Flour. Mm-hmm. And by flour, I mean, uh, grain flour, flour that grains that are ground up like cocaine, you know, it mm-hmm. sort of has the same impact. It really does. Like when you grind up something, the function of grinding it messes mm-hmm. with your blood sugar and your, your, uh, your insulin receptors in the same way that sugar does. It ends up being the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, if you're relating to what I'm saying, you know, if I say, you know, a scone, mm-hmm. you're like, yes. You know what I mean? If you say angel hair pasta, you're like, mm, cause a lot of people are like, Molly, I'm not a sweets person. And then I'll say, what about baguette? And they'll be like, okay, fine. I'll read your book. You know, like, so <laughs> I'm like much less of, I'm much more of a flower person than I am a sugar person. I mean, even to this day, I can sometimes delude myself to believe that like fried clams don't have flour on them. You know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Not always. So yeah, I think at the end of it, and you know, cause sometimes the, the next question that usually comes up with people you know, it's very much like the one when we were at dinner with, well, what can I have? Or mm-hmm. what about, you know, can, what about almond flour? What am I going to put in my coffee? And I want to say, if that's the reaction you're having, I'm so excited for you because you probably have the thing, you know, you probably, because when we get really like, they, there's a great line in the addictions world. And that says like an addict always protects their substance. Right. <laughs> so like if the, if the hair on your back is up right now, like, Yeah. I'm with you. Like I get the hair, like there's a part of me that the hair on my back is up against myself half the time, but like 
you probably have the thing, which would mean, I say gently and lovingly, that like there's a solution that is way better than the one you're in right now. Right. Cause, and I'll say like, there's thousands and thousands of people that I've treated myself. And then there's others that have broken up with sugar and flour that would say, I have no interest in ever going back. Right. It just and takes time. Up. Broken up. Yeah. But like, that's, that's, that's the, the thing about diet culture and about the chronic mm -hmm. cheating is that mm -hmm. when you move out of being a chronic cheater and you mm -hmm. move into for better, for worse, mm -hmm. staying the course, as I say, like mm -hmm. that's where the real freedom is. So the other reason a couple of big publishing houses wouldn't sign me is because I have a 66 day program in mm -hmm. my book. And by the way, I think that's like the first moment. And it's because I, with my writing partner, like I was like, where is the research that says the first place where the brain changes, right? Into automacy, like where it feels, you know, somewhat normal. It was the first piece was 66 days in. Mm. So here we are. Like, so there's people who go on these like seven day sugar cleanses, like mm -hmm. 21 day. And it's like, as an addictions person, what I know is that actually just makes your addiction worse because in and out of relapse, like makes the addiction stronger, which is so fascinating, right? We think, and because I want to say to anybody listening, being like, oh, you know, it's like, you're doing the best you can until you get better information, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think the the longevity and the, the six, after 66 days, like you've really like gone through a bunch of stuff. And the other thing, like I actually think is the most important part of this book, maybe even as important as breaking up a sugar mm -hmm. is this terrible thing that we, as a culture, I think not just in dieting, probably in all relationships have started to do, which is like, when we make one mistake, we make a thousand, like with dieting, it's like, we get a flat tire on our car mm -hmm. and it literally like, this is the thinking we get out of the car and take a knife out of our pocket and slice all the tires on the car and torch the car and leave it on the highway and wonder why we're having a total panic that we can't drive anywhere. Right. Like a normal person gets a flat tire. Yep. They're like us, Lori, we call AAA. Maybe they know <laughs> how to change a tire. <laughs> but the way we respond, so this Facebook group that I sort of manifested, truly it's the most beautiful place on earth. I've never seen a more beautiful environment of loving people. But the thing people are like, get, that get the most, is very not about sugar. It's really about, you can be doing something, you could be having a cookie in your mouth at 1.30 in the afternoon and be done with that by 1.31. You know, we put a cookie in our mouth and our first thought is, well, I'm going to fettuccine Alfredo for dinner, that's for <laughs> sure. And I'm definitely going to go to the frozen yogurt place later, right? It's like, just like we go and slice all the tires. And so there's mm -hmm. this big thing in this Facebook group, it's really beautiful where they're like, I didn't slice, I didn't slash the tires. Mm. And it's such a win because that's how you stay in relationship. Like you don't get in a fight with your husband tonight and say, we're divorced, that's it, I'm out. That's right. Right. I mean, maybe yeah. you get divorced eventually. I'm not saying that to anybody listening, but like mm -hmm. you try to work it out. Mm -hmm. You think to yourself, mm -hmm. huh, what's, is there anything that he's saying there that I can learn from? Huh? Mm -hmm. Like you have a conversation and like these three C's I think of, like you get compassionate, you get curious, and then you make a corrective action plan. I mean, I do that in my job. I get feedback from somebody. I think, huh, what's, uh, what's she saying there that, that feels right to me? What can I do to not make that happen again? But when it comes to food, forget it. I mean, forget it. We lost the whole thread. Just like go into this trauma state. It's bonkers. Right. And I love what you wrote about cognitive dissonance yeah. in your book about how sugar makes you feel good, but it's also harming every part of your body, mind, and spirit. And this is super painful. And since your brain is wired to avoid pain at all costs, that's what 
creates cognitive dissonance. Yeah. I mean, the brain is such a sweet little maladaptive organ, like number one, like your brain. I mean, the other part is why can't we be happy? Because that's the other piece of cognitive dissonance. It's like, because your brain wants you safe. It doesn't want you happy mm. and your brain doesn't want to work that much. Right. So if there's an easier thought for your brain to have without mindfulness and concentration, that's going to have it. Right. So there's like one thought like, oh, I want that sugar. And then there's this other thought where it's like, well, it really harms me. And I don't know that I want to do that tonight. And without practice and attention, your brain is a thousand percent going to be like, no, I just want that thing right now. It's fine. Right. And that, that's really where we have to start to be working our brains and practice. Like I always say, like, we have a, like, and there's a great um, author named his friend of mine named Alex Korb. And he wrote mm-hmm. a book called The Upward Spiral. I've had him on my podcast like five times. I'm obsessed with him because he's so validating about how we behave, you know? And he's like, listen, and I believe this, like, it's like a well-worn snow groove. Like you've been doing something for 35 years. It's not going to be like on the year 36, bippity boppity boo. And this mm-hmm. is in all relationships, right? We have to relearn. And I always think about like a well-worn snow groove. Like, like we have to be creating like a new, a new ski lodge that's our kind of positive or loving or intentional or full of integrity movement. It's like, I, I wish I could have put the book in different order, but I couldn't, but I really like, if you're ever going to read my book, if you're listening, read the second half before you read the first half. Cause it's, <laughs> it's really where the most important stuff is. It's where creating a, a values compass comes in. It's where like what in, in the addictions world, I think is what really is saving people, which is called harm reduction, right? Like, really knowing that perfection is the enemy of the good, right? We're so, the diet culture is so immersed in us being perfect. No one's ever taught us how to be good enough. Like no one's ever taught us what to do. Like if you don't want four ounces of turkey or you can't stand to, you know, drink that shake one more day, which please stop doing that. Um, you know, that there's nothing, there's no alternative to being other than being perfect. And that's really the problem, right? Like you could, you need to understand if you're addicted to sugar. And if you're not, you need to understand, well, what is a way that I can eat that helps me to both live, that helps me to live in integrity and meet my health goals, right? And, and mm-hmm. is, is it something I can get married to, right? Is it something I can really do imperfectly day in, day out when I can, fu- and then how do I, when I need to do it imperfectly, when I can't find the wherewithal, when I'm at a dinner where I can't do it differently, like what is, what is the best I can do? Where mm-hmm. can I reduce harm? That, like, mm-hmm. so how we're going about this relationship with food. I mean, listen, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So they're doing something right from a, mm-hmm. you know, from a capitalism perspective, they're brilliant. And I'm mm-hmm. writing a second book right now about diet culture. And it's like bonkers. And you want to know what exactly it looks like exactly to the T in abusive relationship, like mm. more so than even the sugar, like the greatest abuser is diet culture because it has us so hooked in and, um, you know, victim shames us. It victim mm. shames us. It says, you're the problem. What's wrong with you? Why can't you just try harder? Why can't you hustle more? And there's not an ounce of research that supports that. And there's not an ounce of what the long-term, what long-term people do that supports that. But people will really attract over to these coaches that say, well, I've, I've done it myself. That being the only thing they've done. And, uh, and you know, you're just not doing it right. Or you're not working hard enough. If that's happening to anybody, if you're working with any human being that's saying that's you, please fire them immediately. Like, please, I beg you, like, 
I'm so into that. I think it's such an unregulated industry, you know? What do you do to help people? I know you've got a team. How do you help if, you, if somebody's listening that would like your assistance? What can you well, do? I'm everywhere. Them? I mean, the first thing I, okay. I mean, I think the first thing is like, it's sort of dialectic, right? It's sort of two opposing ideas. Like number one, we know very clearly from research, right? That the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. I don't know if people can do this alone. Mm. I think if I could do this alone, I might clean prisons. Like I, I'd be happy to not have to always have help. <laughs> but I think we find from the research, just really like sort of awesome research on rats and heroin. And when the rats are given a community to be in, they don't even want to be eating heroin anymore. That's the really quick version of that study. You know, so I think in one way, you know, we have to find community. We have to find people that we can trust and rely on and connect with. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, this is what the research says about addiction, which is that there's only really one indicator of if someone's going to be successful at overcoming an addiction. And I would say an eating disorder on that. I would, I would loop eating disorders in disordered eating and it's self-determination, right? And so it's determining for yourself what will work, which brings me back to diet culture, if you don't mind me saying, because diet culture says you're good and you're bad and you do it my way or you go the highway. And then the research on success says you actually have to figure out what works best for you. I find it so interesting in this Facebook community that every, most people in there are broken up with sugar, but not one person does it the same way. Even though there's like recommendations in my book that says like, oh, here are some things I think you should do. So, I mean, if you want to hang with me, I always want to hang with you. Mm -hmm. So I have like, I have a clinic and I have like me and a bunch of other clinicians and we do individual work with people. Mm -hmm. I also once a month do this thing called Molly Q&A where you come, you can ask questions, you submit questions before it's an hour, you get a recorded, it's recorded transcript. It's so great. We love it. People love it. I do some workshops. We're launching an accountability coaching program in October, which I'm really excited about. It seems That's a little awesome. bit more than like individual individual coaching is like not what really always people need. They sometimes just need a community to be with yeah, like peer accountability. Mom? Yeah. Peer accountability, okay. but with a coach in the room. Okay. And then Lori, you know, I'm obsessed with my like free fitness classes. Part of the last, uh, I have a podcast, which is great. Especially it's amazing. If, if you're really relating to what I'm saying, like, it, I mean, I don't mean to, I do mean to toot my own horn and I'm sorry. You need, to, need to do toot it. My own horn. I'm tooting. Yes. Toot listen to my podcast. People are in love with it. I'm pretty in love with it. I have solo podcasts. I have people on who are in a struggle. We talk. I have people on who are sort of really found their way that we talk. I have some experts and friends on. It's just great. It's called what you're craving. I love it. People mm -hmm. love it. It's amazing. But the thing I'm really in love with most of all is the thing I do for free, mostly free or at, um, which is intensati, which I think is so amazing. Intensati is a spiritual fitness class. Please don't roll your eyes. I rolled my eyes when I first started it. <laughs> but what we do in the class is that we match movements and mantras. So we move our bodies while we're expressed. I'm trying to get Lori to go to this so badly. Everybody. I'm doing it on I'm Tuesday. Gonna, oh my tomorrow. God. I'm so excited. I'm so doing can, it. So you can join me and Lori on Tuesday morning <laughs> at eight o'clock Eastern time. If you're like, oh, I'm in the West coast. A lot of people are there from the West coast. <laughs> So no excuses. Suck and it's it amazing. Here's why trauma lives in the body. Okay. 
And if we think that this is just a brain game, it's not. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, and I will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, true change happens mind, body, and spirit. And so while we're there, we're doing this movement, we're moving our bodies, we're, we're coming out of our throat chakra, we're expressing what we, how we want to feel. I am stronger than I think. I am braver than I seem. I have all that I need. Expresses coming out. We feel empowered. And that's how you're going to make choices that are in alignment with your best self. You have to find your best self before you can make decisions in alignment with your best self. And sometimes I think we're putting the cart before the horse because the victim shaming diet industry and coaching industry says, just love yourself. It's like, it's a little bit more than that. It takes a little bit more work than that. So I do a lot of things all on mollycarmel.com. I love people. I mean, it's what I I love. I just... I'm sure you feel this way too. Like, I cannot believe that this is what I have been gifted is just to get to help people all the time. It's amazing. Like, I'm just the luckiest girl in America. It's even you worth found, all the pain I had to go through, you know? Yeah. You found your mission and you're living your, your best life. You know it. Yeah. I am. I really am living my best life. That's I true. love it. I love it. I love you. And I, I appreciate you. you. Thank you so much for coming on. I had such a good time. Have me again and again. I'll be like the Alec Baldwin of your show if you want. <laughs> Saturday Night Live. I will definitely do it. And thank you so much, Molly. Um, I'll put in the show notes. Oh, one last thing. Do you have a special charity um, that you align yourself with or one that you would recommend to our listeners. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. I have two though. So the first one, I, if, if you don't care about your money being tax deductible, my number one, most favorite, uh, charity is the ACLU. The ACLU has two parts. One is tax deductible. One isn't the one that makes Mm -hmm. real progress is the one that isn't. Okay. Um, and then my second one is, um, the wounded warriors. That's where my Amazon money goes. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. So we're going to put those in the show notes too, Thank so that you. we can um, continue to raise money with my philanthropy dating project. Philan- I didn't know this about you. I learned something no. new about you every day. Philanthropy <laughs> dating. Yep. Trying, trying to raise money and uh, uh. help others, uh, in the community. Oh, wonderful. Funny. Well, Molly, we have learned so much today. Thank you very, very, very much. You're wonderful. You. And we will definitely bring you back. I mean, can't wait. Count me in. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Love on the Go. I hope you join us on our next episode. You can make sure to know when it is by following us wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed it, it'd be great if you left us a review. I'd appreciate it. In the meantime, to learn more about me and how my team can help you, visit carolinasmatchmaker.com. Until next time.